Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. We're going to start reading today in verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. I just think that's a great thing for people to read today. When you're asked to do something, do it well. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. Why? Because he did it well. An appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Little workplace tip. If you want a promotion, then ask yourself, would other people be happy if you got a promotion? Would they like to be on your team? And if not, then maybe you should start working on that. All right, verse six, because it's more positive. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They danced and sang for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he asked. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Then chapter 19 and verse one. Now, Saul urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. We started the series last week with this thought that David is the most unlikely king. When you think about David and you think about his journey, he was really, in many ways, we could call him the, lunt, the runt of the litter. He was the youngest of eight children born to Jesse. Jesse had one wife who gave him seven children and they were all tall, all physically impressive. They were all olive skinned like your typical Israelite person. We all covet their skin coloring and I'm sure girls would love to have their long, long hair. And then along comes little David who was born to a different mother and the Bible just politely describes David as ruddy, basically meaning that all his brothers tanned in the summer and David went white, pink, fluoro pink. That's, that's the family that I'm part of. I feel like David's my brother from another mother. He, he was not only the runt of the litter, he wasn't tall and they were. He was, he was born to a different woman and, and they all had the same mum. He was, he, was, he was rejected by his brothers and he was an embarrassment to his father. And when the holy prophet Samuel came to meet Jesse and all of his sons, Jesse convinced Conveniently left one out. David is just forgotten about, left out in the back paddock, looking after the sheep. Yet that one rejected and neglected kid is the one that God chose to be shepherd over his people Israel. I don't know about you, but I'm tremendously encouraged about that, that it doesn't matter my origin or where I came from or what my family background might've been like or what people might've said about me or the way that I have perceived me. It only matters what God thinks about me. And the more I can find that out, the better my life is gonna be. And God chose David. He made him the one that was chosen. And we looked at the story last week about how the first stage of destiny is called discovery. Discovery, that's our first stage in the anatomy of destiny when the prophet Samuel anointed David with oil and declared him to be a king. And suddenly in David's heart, purpose was awakened. And I pray that for every person in this service today, you would understand this bold declaration that when you come to follow Jesus, you are awakened immediately 
clearly that your life has a purpose, that you are anointed by God. You are not an ordinary person. You are designated by God for a unique purpose. God's hand is all over your life. You are destined to change the world. If you believe that about yourself, I think you should just give God a little bit of praise. That's worthy of praise, right? Oh, it's a beautiful moment. He went into discovery. And then last Sunday night, we looked at an amazing story where David descended down into the Valley of Elah, how he took on the giant Goliath and how for David, his destiny truly began. And if you're looking for destiny in your life, let me give you one simple key about how you can find it. Find a problem that you believe that you can solve. And probably right there, you found the beginning of your destiny. David looked at Goliath and he said, I can solve this problem. Everybody else was intimidated by it. David said, I am graced for it. And because he found a problem that he could solve, he'd stepped into his destiny that day. That's how, that's a calling, by the way. That's, a, that's the awakening of God's purpose is when you discover that amazing truth. And when our story left off last week, David is on an all-time high. I mean, literally, he has just slain the giant Goliath. He's won a great victory for the nation of Israel. The world is his oyster. His, his fa- himself and his whole family are now exempt from taxes. Now, I'm sure that changed the family relationship a whole lot. I mean, if suddenly your little half-brother becomes the one who gets you out of having to pay any taxes for the rest of your life, he goes from like the one you're embarrassed about to your favorite brother. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just an amazing moment. I, I bet that this would have changed everything. He, he was gonna marry the king's daughter. The king is his friend. He was brought close to the king. He rides on the king's chariot with him. He leads the, the armies of Israel into battle. The king's son becomes his best friend. For things, things for David, just they couldn't possibly have got any better. And David, who's just a pure-hearted kid, who's only ever sought to serve and to love God, I'm sure for David, he was just expecting this is the beginning of what's going to be the rest of my life. The season of rejection is over. The days of pain are in my past. And everything is going to go well for me from this moment on. And I, I guess many people feel like that. As God begins to breathe upon their lives, as good things begin to happen, It's easy to start to think about your destiny and to think about the journey that God's got you on and begin to presume that amazing things are gonna be the future that that you're gonna get to walk into. But friends, if we're gonna do this series well, it would not do anybody any justice if we were to leave the story there. If we were just to hoop and holler and have one of those series where we just walk out of here going, I have a destiny but we actually don't really talk about what destiny looks like, then maybe you might quit along the journey if you don't understand that you cannot separate difficulty from destiny. You just can't. If you wanna do something great for God with your life, or if you wanna just fulfill the purpose God has for you, the anatomy of destiny is something that we've gotta read beyond the good bits in David's journey and get down to the nitty gritty because we start to discover about David that no sooner had he been through discovery and the awakening of destiny that David entered into a very challenging season. The Bible tells us that one day Saul and David are making their way back into Israel, into Jerusalem, when the woman come out and they start singing a song. 
man, if you want to just make things crazy, get the woman singing songs. And so they're singing about Saul and they're saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Wow. So for Saul, when he hears that accolade given to David, something within him is just, you know, unsettled. He is a deeply insecure leader. And if you want a sign of whether security or insecurity is dominating your life, then just look at what you do with praise. There's no, no better litmus test. Am I insecure or not? If you give praise away like crazy, there's probably a good sign that you're a secure person. But if you're really troubled when somebody else gets a little bit of credit or you don't wanna transfer it to somebody else, then insecurity is probably there. And Saul was a deeply insecure leader. And because Saul is so full of that insecurity, when he hears that song, his whole attitude towards David changes. He withdraws. He pulls back from David. He's, he's still got David and his team. But he's no longer looking for David to do well. He wants David to do bad. He's not setting David up for good things. He does his utmost to set David up for bad. Check this out. He would still send David out into battle, but he would like halve the number of soldiers and increase the size of the opponent, hoping that David and, hello, the soldiers that were with him were just collateral damage, that they would die in battle so that Saul would be free from the threat of David. And I want you to know this is a great encouragement for you and me, because I reckon there are some people out there who just feel like the odds are stacked against you. People are making it difficult for you. Maybe you've even got a boss that's just really against you in your career pathway, and you're just feeling like, man, everything is bad. I want you to know that there is not only the eyes of people around you who see your situation, the eyes of the Lord see you. And the Bible says that it doesn't matter what kind of situation was thrown at David, he just kept winning. Why? Because greater is he that is in you, my friend, than he that is in the world. And if you believe it, give God some praise, no matter what situation's coming your way. And as this dynamic keeps taking place, two things happen. Saul becomes increasingly insecure and David becomes more and more popular. And as David's popularity increases and as Saul's internal rage reaches a zenith, we read in our Bibles tonight the most amazing verse this morning. As Saul issues an instruction to all of his inner circle, including his son, I want somebody to take a sword, a spear, or a javelin, and I want you to kill that son of Jesse named David. David's riding high. David's only ever done anything with a good motive. Everything that's happened to David until this moment since, the, since his discovery began has been this just most meteoric journey. And in one crazy moment, David goes from national hero to nation's most wanted. He goes from having his face on the posters to his face on the most wanted posters. He goes from the man who is loved and the man who is valued to the man who is vilified and the man who is reviled. His wife has to lower him out the city wall in the dead of night to escape the people standing outside his door with instructions to kill him. 
He flees for his life and he is all alone. And literally, this guy who's climbing this journey of destiny walks from walking in the light to now walking in the darkness. He goes from being together to being alone, accepted to rejected. And guys, we could read that and think, well, you know, wow, that's a bad day. But it wasn't a day. It wasn't even a week. It wasn't even a month. And listen, team, it wasn't even a year. David was on the run from Saul for one year, two years, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight long years. David lived with the threat of death hanging over him, was Saul pursuing him. Saul literally hunted him like he was a fox on a fox hunt. Saul sent armies out to destroy David. Saul said all kinds of evil and malicious things about him. People didn't wanna be around David. They hurled insults at him. They said all kinds of horrible things and pointed the finger at David. And David went through the darkest, darkest season that potentially a person could ever go through. His earthly father had rejected him. Now his spiritual father has rejected him. And if we're gonna talk about destiny, it would be remiss of us if we just didn't talk about this as part of the pathway of destiny because the truth is, guys, as we walk the pathway of destiny, you're gonna walk through a season of discovery. You're gonna know what it is to step into your destiny. And then, guys, let's just get it clear. Everybody's gonna face a disaster. There is nothing I read in the Bible in any page of the Scripture that makes me think that if I'm following the pathway God's got for me in my life, that everything for me in my life is going to go easy. Nothing in the Bible suggests that. And when we read and we study the anatomy of destiny, I think it is so important that we consider this. David had no instruction manual. He is just in this all alone. That's why David is so incredibly remarkable because the choices that he made and the journey that he walked, he did it without a reference point to look at. But you and I, we've got a luxury because we can study David's life and we can study the full context of the Word of God and we can see that time and time again, it isn't about what's happening to you, it's about what's happening in you that is ultimately going to decide your destiny in life. Do you believe that? And the unfortunate truth is that disasters are part of destiny. They just are. And in the journey we're making in our lives, I think it's very important that everybody in this room knows this. Not every step in your journey is gonna make sense. Not every day are you gonna wake up and say, wow, this really is logical. There's no person who's ever gonna walk the journey of destiny in their lives and think this is exactly what should be happening to me. No. Sometimes the worst things happen to the best of people. You can't avoid it. You don't wanna amen that, but it's true. Let me give you three really encouraging scriptures today. Hebrews chapter two, verse 10. This is talking about Jesus. It was, it was fitting. Uh, sorry, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Yay! <laughs> if Jesus' destiny walk included some challenges, then guys, just let's get real. It's quite likely that we're following Jesus, so then we're probably gonna follow Jesus. I mean, I've never seen that on a bumper sticker, but it's just, it's just the truth. 
John 16, 33. Here's another encouraging scripture. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. Yay! But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's Acts 14, 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yay! <laughs> Haven't seen too many people memorizing that scripture and putting it on their fridge door. <laughs> Strangely enough, I didn't see it on a poster in Mana Bookstore. But the truth is, guys, that if we're going to walk through the journey of destiny in our lives, we've got to be prepared for disasters. We've got to be prepared for hardships. We've actually got to be prepared for tribulation. <laughs> you know, if I was just to be honest with you today, can I just tell you that last year was definitely the hardest year of my life. Hardest year of my life. Also, probably the year that was the best year of my life. Like God did so many things in my life and looking back, I don't think I've ever seen in the journey of our church, especially more miracles in one year than we saw in 2016. But I just wanna be straight up with you today and say it was a year that challenged me more than any other year I've ever been through. More, more difficult moments, faced more pressure last year than I've ever known. Never known such great spiritual attack as we faced last year as a church. Never known so many challenges. It was hard, it was hard. I got hit by a car, guys. I mean, hello. I got new, new artwork on my forehead to show that, you know, I got a scar. I got, I got a shoulder that's sore right now. You know, like, I mean, it's just, it was a difficult and challenging year on just about every front that you can imagine. Yet the truth is that in that year, God did so much in me. And part of the fast that I've been on for the last 21 years, it's eight days, it feels like 21 years. Straight up feels like 21 years, doesn't it? The truth is, yeah, I'm not looking at you Daniel fasters. That's just cheap. I'm looking at Christopher over here, the one faithful friend who would follow me into the valley. They're all like, yay, we get to eat meat tonight. That's this half of the front row. Chris and I are like, yay, we get to eat carrot juice. I, I'm teasing you guys because I'm jealous. Um, but part of this for me has been about saying, man, I need another level of spiritual victory for this next season. And I believe we're gonna get that as a church. I believe we've got that as a church. There is an open heaven. I feel the presence of God is amazing in our church right now. And this is gonna be a year of miracles, unprecedented favor and open doors in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. But hey team, we're walking in the favor of it, but let's just be clear. You gotta be willing to walk through difficult seasons to get there. You know what's interesting to note about David? He wrote the majority of his Psalms during that eight year period. When you read the Psalms and you hear these like crazy lyrics, I mean, it sounds so prosaic, some of the Psalms, doesn't it? Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, yeah, let's turn that into lyrics and sing it on Sunday morning. <laughs> but the Psalms, actually, that's what they were. They were songs of worship, but they're also an insight into David's emotional world. In the book of Psalms, we get the journey of his life in, sorry, in the book of First Samuel, we get the journey of his life. But in Psalms, we get the journey of his heart. And you begin to realize, he's like, why does everybody revile me? Why does everyone hate me? Why is all this bad things happening to me? And yet David learned potentially the greatest volume of what he learned during the season that was the worst season in his life. And friends, you and I are gonna face challenges and the greater the calling, the greater the opposition. 
But let's just get really clear about it and say, when bad things start happening to us, we tend to learn the most, the quickest. And if God's gonna mature you and I and get us ready for the next things that He's got, then maybe He is gonna allow us to go through disaster. He's not gonna orchestrate it. He never does bad things to people, but He is gonna sponsor you in the middle of your darkest seasons and speed up the journey of your growth in the worst hours of our lives, amen? I mean, you know, when Julie and I moved to Wellington, we started looking for a house. We found this house and it was just a radical answer to prayer. Ticked every single one of our boxes. It was kind of on the border of Wadestown and Wilton. And we bought this house and I was so thankful. The house alone was an assurance that God was with me. Fulfillment of promises, a testimony for the miraculous. I couldn't believe that I had it. I was literally crying for joy. I was so happy. We lived in that home and it was wonderful. And then one day I noticed a little bit of water leaking above the French door. And, and, and I knew what that might mean. So I had a test done and discovered that the home was what they call a leaky home. And they sent me a big report and it said that this home that we'd bought, you know, our first home needed $280,000 worth of repairs. I mean, I, I, my whole world came undone. I mean, my whole world came undone. Two days after I found that, I got the report on a Saturday night, which is great. Really put me in a good mood to preach on Sunday. It was awesome. Uh, And on Monday, I had lunch with a lady who uh, had been working with people who've been through the leaky homes crisis. And she she was tired. I could tell. And she began to describe for me what was gonna happen. She said, it's not gonna be over in a week. It's not gonna be over in a month. And it's not gonna be over in a year. This is gonna take you the next few years of your life to walk this thing through. And she began to describe how difficult this process was going to be. She said, I need to let you know because you better know straight up. I sat there in in that that cafe and my stomach was just convulsing. I mean, I I was shaking from head to toe. I've never been so nervous in all my life. And partway through the conversation, she grabbed a finger and she pointed across the table at me. And she said, there's something I need to tell you and you need to hear this. You are responsible for what happens next. No one's gonna step in and save you. This is up to you. And I tell you what, when she said those words, it was just like something in the deep of my spirit just kicked. And I was like, this problem, you are so much bigger than me right now, but you can't get any bigger, but I can. And I'm gonna debate every waking spare moment of my life to getting bigger than this challenge. I'm gonna press into God. I'm gonna study. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna pray. And you know what? We, we walked this most amazing journey. However, the next nine months or so, we were able to find out a way to do the most awesome repair job on that house. We treated all the timber, fully reclad it with a cavity. Everything got fixed, an amazing intervention of God. We fixed the house. And during that time, the Wellington real estate market just went absolutely gangbusters. So even though it cost us a lot of money to fix the house, the value of the house at the end exceeded the purchase price and that and we sold the house a couple of years later at a serious profit and were able to buy the house that we live in now and you know what that was the darkest most difficult season potentially that I've been in my life up until that moment but I wouldn't trade it for one bit 
Because as Paul DeYoung said to me partway through, he said, John, if you're gonna have faith for millions of dollars, doesn't it stand to reason God's gonna start by expecting you to have faith for a few hundred thousand dollars? And man, I'm so grateful for that because in my life now, we have to raise millions, millions for the advancement of this church. I mean, we've got the Arise Center, then we just gotta keep the things moving around every location that we have for Arise. And I never once, lose sleep ever over the finances of our church because I sought the Lord in my darkest hour and He delivered me from all of my fears. I wanna tell you He's Jehovah Jireh. I wanna tell you He's the Lord who provides. And if you'll walk through difficulty, you'll learn so much more about God. In your darkest days, don't you ever quit on a challenge. Don't you ever give up in the face of adversity. Don't ever let the devil think that he's bigger than you because Jesus is in you and you're greater than every challenge that you face. Oh man, I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, the thing about it is, is that, is that um, uh, uh, when my son Will was about three years old, he uh, contracted an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre. And I was driving down the street in Melbourne and my wife Gillian gives me a phone call and she says, uh, sweetheart, I, they think Will's got this disease and we're taking him to the hospital to have him tested. So I, I hang up the phone. I, I honestly don't know what that means. So I turned to my, the driver, the guy who's driving my car, and I said, have you ever heard of an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre? And he said, heard of it? I had it. When I was 12 years old, they carried me into a hospital. I, I couldn't walk, nothing, nothing worked. I ended up being on a, a respirator and the respirator kept me breathing for a period of time. Eventually, my body started to recover, but they put braces on my legs and had to teach me how to walk at the age of 12, like Forrest Gump. I had to have physiotherapy for years of my life. He didn't know that I just found out my son had it. Well, I mean, you can imagine. It was just horrible. I went back to my hotel room and I just began to pray. I was like, I, I can't get home till the next day, so I'm just gonna pray. So I just started praying. I, I ran out of things to pray, so I started going through the Bible and I found every passage of scripture in the Bible that just talks about healing. And I spent hours just confessing every scripture, declaring it over Will's life declaring that God was gonna heal him. I mean, I, just, I was crazy. I don't care who was in the next room. You can, you can get stuffed. I'm praying for my son. He's sick. You know, it's, it's gloves off, people. I'm going for it. About three o'clock in the morning, I'll never forget it. I got a picture in the dead of night. I saw Will, and he was a teenager, and he was tall. He was tanned. He was smiling. He had a big circle of friends around him. I could tell he was clearly popular. And in that moment, I knew that he was gonna be healed. I text Jillian three o'clock in the morning. I said, sweetheart, don't you worry about Will. He's gonna be just fine. I got home the next morning. I put my hands on him and I prayed for him and it was like fire was in my hands. Well, you know, the nature of that disease, in fact, a boy, a friend of one of our Christchurch congregation has got it and he's in hospital right now and he's reached the stage where he is gonna need a respirator. He can't talk, he can't move. He's in isolation. His parents can't even touch him. And, and the disease takes you down. It takes you down gradually. And Will had reached a certain place in the disease. He couldn't hold things and his legs were shaking. And I prayed for him that morning. And every piece of degradation in his body stopped that morning. 
Eight weeks later, he was fully recovered. The specialist said to me, he said, in all my years of medical practice, this is the mildest case of this disease I've ever seen. You're very lucky. And I knew I wasn't lucky. But you know what? I don't wish a sick kid on any person, any person. And I understand your pain. And I pray for every, every majorly sick kid in our church every day. But the truth is, for me, I'm so grateful that I went through that. I'm not grateful that Will got sick and that was not God's will. That's a fallen world that makes stuff like that happen. But I want to tell you, if you had asked me to pray for you for healing prior to my son being sick, I would have prayed for you. But in my head, I would have been, let's get Andy Kabbala here. Let's get somebody with some real faith for healing because I'm a church builder, but I, I'm, I don't have that gift. But now I want you to know, I've seen many people healed since Will got healed. And we're going to pray at the end of the service. And I promise you, people are going to get healed today, right now. People are going to get healed. And here's the thing I want you to know. In the darkest moments of your life, never think for a moment that the problem's bigger than you or that God has somehow forgotten you. But know that in every trial, in every difficulty, in every situation that you face, the Lord that we worship is on our side. He is able, He is capable, He will bring you through. And man, we serve a God of miracle working power. And if you believe it, I want you to give God some real praise in this place right now. Come on, come on. In every tragedy that ever comes to you, God's working something good. Every difficulty that you face, when something awful begins to break out in your life, begin to tell the devil, you're intending this for harm, but God's gonna work it for good. God's gonna make everything that comes my way and He is gonna use it for the good of me because I am called according to His good purpose and He loves me. And so you're not gonna take me down, devil. This circumstance is not gonna be the end of me. God's gonna lift me up. There is another page to this chapter. I am gonna see victory and I will know God's destiny. And if you believe it, could you give God some praise in this place right now? Oh man, oh man. Can you just grab a seat for one second? I wanna just give you so quickly, you can just write these down in your notes. Three lessons, because I gotta move on. We're done with this series and we're talking about different things next week. Three lessons you need to learn about disasters. Number one, never forget who's in charge when you're going through a disaster. Never forget who's in charge. If, if David learned anything in his disasters, he learned that God is always in charge. The second thing you need to know about disasters is never allow a problem to change your person. Eight years of being pursued by Saul could have really made Saul a bitter guy. And I don't know, it made David a bitter guy. And I don't know what you're facing in your life, but the devil would love nothing for you, nothing better for you than to conform to the image of your problem rather than conforming to the image of Jesus. David, having had an opportunity to kill Saul, took the hem of his garment, stood at the front of a cave and he yelled at Saul, you can chase me down every day of my life, try to kill me every waking moment of your life, but I want you to know I will never touch you because from evil doers come evil deeds. And to kill you would be evil. You killing me is evil. I'm not responsible for you, but I am responsible for me. Never change your character in the face of a challenge. The third thing is just remember, team, our God is always faithful. 
You know, when you read the Psalms, have you noticed how many of the ones David wrote, they just start so depressed? But have you also noticed how they always finish so amazing? Let me give you Psalm 22. I want to close with this. This was written by David when Saul was hunting his life. And this Psalm is now rich tapestry of quoted scripture that dotters our New Testament narrative, speaking about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer me. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Let there be some comfort for someone in the middle of a disaster today. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. You cried out, they cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all because of all the things Saul sang about me. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let him rescue him. They yelled that at Jesus on the cross. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust in my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment that I was born. And verse 19, he's starting to pick up his tempo. He says, Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim. He starts now in this most awesome collections of I wills. He's like, everything looks like Saul's gonna kill me. He's got an army. I've got a band of brothers. But this is what David starts saying. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will stand amongst your sacred assembly. Praise the Lord, all you who fear Him. He has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned His back on them, but has listened to their cries. Verse 25, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise Him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to Him. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For royal power belongs to the Lord and He rules all the nations. Don't let moments of tragedy cause you to run away from God and to forget that He's always faithful. Come to Him with confusion. Come to Him with absolute perplexion. Tell Him how difficult life is, but don't, don't stop in His presence right there. Linger in His presence long enough that you get the pain off your chest, that you get the difficulties out there. And then you'll find that what's left in the reservoir of your spirit is a determination and a knowledge that God is not the God of your demise. God is the God of your blessing. People and circumstances might have tried to take you down, but God's going to take you up. And there is good in store for the righteous. And if you believe it, give the Lord a shout of praise in this house today. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.